ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Today, Sharon reaches out to Ella Finkel of Cosmos magazine, who's actually published in the top journal Science about Australia's own ventures in this tantalising field. Ella, your article in Science magazine I thought was just terrific. But I have to admit, when I first saw that headline, Adversarial Search for Neural Basis of Consciousness, I thought, in this globally connected world, couldn't it be a bit more collaborative? Okay, so you might think science is a tranquil pastime, butterfly collectors and that sort of thing. But I've been a scientist and for the last few decades I've been reporting science and it it is actually much more like a gladiatorial arena, you know, people holding up different theories battle it out until you're left with one dominant theory standing, kind of like, you know, Einstein's theory of gravity battled Newton's theory and, and Einstein's one. But consciousness is a very kind of newly fledged science. It wasn't a respectable area for science 30 years ago. And what we're finding is it's littered with theories, more than 20 theories of consciousness, and none of them seem to be being bludgeoned out of the arena. Instead, they're just sort of sprouting. So five years ago, the Templeton Foundation, and they're very keen on funding science to advance understanding of human nature, decided that they would fund a series of head-to-head tournaments. And these are known as adversarial collaborations. And the first cab off the rank was the one I went to report on in New York at this conference in New York. So they're kind of friendly tournaments? Yes. I I hear some doubt. (laughs) They have their moments. So the two sides are trying their best and they've been lauded for coming together in a sporting fashion to spend about a year swapping ideas with the experimenters. So the experimenters are a group of neutral scientists who don't barrack for either of the theories, but The three mid-career researchers, they worked with the two theorists to come up with a series of contests for this tournament that would distinguish between the two theories. And what were those two opposing ideas then? Yes, okay. So the first one, the architect, is a French scientist by the name of Stanislas Dehaene. He's also made a big name for himself in brain mechanisms of learning and uh, numbers. But uh, about 20 years ago, he moved into consciousness science. And his theory is inspired by a computer metaphor. So in early AI and even in modern computers, most of the programs run in parallel. They don't talk to each other. They do their own things. But there is a thing called a workspace or a clipboard in in modern computers where those programs actually get to interact. So Stanislas modelled his theory on this idea of the computer workspace. So the idea is that most of the programs that our brain is running are unconscious. They're parallel programs that we're not conscious of. We can walk and chew at the same time, for instance. But our conscious workspace 
the different programs can come together. And unlike the unconscious parallel programs where lots of them can run at a time, the conscious workspace is very limited. So you really can only entertain one conscious idea at a time. And the other idea of this workspace is that it broadcasts this information to the rest of the brain so that you can use it. You can decide to act on your conscious information. You can learn something from it. So that's that theory. The other theory comes from Italian-born Giulio Tononi, who's based in the US. It's also about 20 years old. Tononi is also a psychiatrist, and his other area of interest is sleep. So 20 years ago, he came up with his integrated information theory, and it doesn't look for analogies with computers or anything. Rather, it starts from the phenomenology of the conscious experience. What is it like to be conscious? And he asserts that there are five incontrovertible axioms of the conscious state, and then, because he's very clever, he goes on and he develops a mathematical description that goes with these axioms, a sort of time-honoured thing for mathematically clever theoreticians. And what results is something he terms a maximum cause-effect structure. And at the conference in New York, I saw graphical descriptions of it. It looks like a big purple spider web. And many people, including myself, find the theory a little bit incomprehensible, but that doesn't mean it's not a good theory. Anyway, notwithstanding the complexities of both theories, there is a difference between them that is just unbelievably simple. And that difference is that the first theory, the workspace theory, holds that consciousness very much involves the front of the brain, the part of the brain where we think, whereas the integrated information theory holds that the front of the brain is not important for consciousness, that consciousness is not about thinking, it's about experiencing, and it's much more likely to reside in the sensory parts of the brain, in the back of the brain. So how did they actually go about experimenting? How did they try and show which side was right, the front of the brain or the back of the brain is where consciousness comes from? It sounds ridiculously simple, front of the brain versus the back of the brain. It made me think of uh, when Gulliver was in Lilliput and they were having a war over which side to eat the egg from. <laughs> And I remember saying to one of these uh, young experimenters who were, you know, the theory-neutral people, Michael Pitts, I said, this sounds kind of ridiculous. If it was that simple, why wouldn't you have figured this out by now? I mean, you know, guys, you've been doing these experiments for 20 years or more. And that is where we get to the whole point of why this adversarial collaboration was necessary. Because the kind of paradigm, the experimental paradigm that they use it's a sort of psychological trick where you can separate the visual part of processing from your perception of what you're seeing. So there's a famous gorilla experiment where people are shown this video of uh, basketballers passing a ball to each other and they're told, count the number of passes between the players wearing the white shirts, but don't worry about the players wearing the blue shirts. You know, they're trying very hard to concentrate on the number of ball passes. And in the middle of this video, 
a man wearing a gorilla suit walks onto the playing field and just sort of stands there and then walks off. And more than half the people who do this task do not see the gorilla. So it's a very common and informative kind of trick about what's going on in our brain that our eyes are taking in visual information and it's being processed, but that doesn't mean we're conscious of it. So a lot of these experiments employ these kinds of tricks and they ask people, for instance, press this button when you see the gorilla and while they're doing that psychological trick, They've got MRI cameras watching what's going on in their brain, for instance. And a lot of those experiments showed that at the moment the people pressed the button and said, aha, I see the gorilla, you know, that they became conscious of the gorilla. The MRI scans activity lit up in the front of the brain. So that looked like, yes, the global neuronal workspace theory wins because it's all about consciousness being in the front of the brain where we think. However, about 10 years ago, people said, just a minute, there's a fly in the ointment here. When people are pressing the button to say, yes, I see the gorilla, they're reporting that they are conscious of the gorilla. So is the scan picking up the moment of consciousness or is it picking up the moment of reporting? And we know that when you do a task that does involve aspects of the front of the brain, so it wasn't really picking up consciousness. And that's what this adversarial collaboration was trying to get at. It was trying to design a series of experiments that would winnow away the task and leave a kind of more pure consciousness. So who won the round? The integrated information or the workspace theory? So it was a very dramatic event at the New York University, an event held in the evening and interspersed with rock music and raps all on the theme of consciousness, all these scientists who also had talent as rap artists and rock musicians. And by the time they actually presented the results, the crowd was just sort of on fire. They presented the results writ large on this giant screen, all these different tests they did. Think of them as hurdles. And if you got more green marks, you did better. And as it turned out, the integrated information theory got slightly more green marks And on the night, it seemed like they were the winners and certainly Melanie Boley, who was representing integrated information theory, got up on stage and, you know, was very victorious and proclaimed victory. But Stan DeHaan, who then got on stage, said, well, I don't agree. (laughs) Notwithstanding all these things we've signed off on. And he he went on to explain why. And actually, most people say both theories were challenged, so they won some and they lose some, that the way you should think about it is that there was a series of hurdles. And even though the integrated information theory seemed to clear more hurdles, actually their hurdles were lower than the hurdles for the other theory. So certainly in my report in science, I initially portrayed it that integrated information theory won, and I've copped a bit of flack for that. I know I understand it now that it's more that it was a series of hurdles and the hurdles were not necessarily equal. In any event, neither theory has been bludgeoned out of the arena. 
And there is a next phase to this tournament that will be reported in a year's time and it will give us more information on which theory was more accurate, which theory really described consciousness best. And have we been involved with it at all? Have Australians been involved in this tournament? Are we playing the same game? Indeed. So what I was describing before was just one of the tournaments, but there's about five or six of them. And Monash is involved in a very high profile tournament. So the Monash Centre, which is seen as a global hub of consciousness research, it's led by a philosopher, Jakob Hochvi, and he runs a $12 million Consciousness and Contemplative Studies Research Centre. It was donated by Martin Hosking of the company Redbubble, which made its fortune through printing whatever you like on T-shirts. But Martin Hosking has a great interest in consciousness, particularly exploring the great wisdom traditions and improving the mental well-being of university students. So he donated this centre. And Hohwee's centre is quite fascinating. He is a philosopher, but his centre has hardcore neuroscientists and psychologists, and they uh, collaborate with other very hardcore scientists all scattered across Monash, electrical engineers like Adil Razi and so on. And they also have collaborations with some of the who's who of global neuroscience, like Carl Friston at University College London, who is the most cited neuroscientist in the world, Anil Seth, who's one of the best writers on consciousness and a very esteemed researcher himself, and Raphael Yust, a highly esteemed American neuroscientist. Jakob is involved with these scientists overseas and others on another adversarial collaboration. The two theories they are testing, uh, a theory based on predictive processing against integrated information theory. So I've already told you about integrated information theory and the big purple spiderweb. And how difficult it is to understand, yes. <laughs> yeah, yes, which doesn't mean it's wrong. But Carl Friston's theory, which is not easy to understand either, <laughs> but possibly easier for me to explain. And it's more of a framework for thinking of consciousness called predictive processing. And the idea is that our brain... It's not just passively taking information about the world, it's making models of the world. And that consciousness is very much about becoming aware of when there's a mismatch with the model we've got of the world and, uh-oh, what's suddenly happening, so that you become most conscious of something when it doesn't fit your model of the world, like sitting in the room now, ho-hum, you're not really conscious of this big black fuzzy thing in front of you, the microphone. But if it was to suddenly sprout prickles, you would suddenly become very <laughs> conscious of it. My goodness, you'll have to promise to come back and explain how this next tournament went, please, Ella. I'd be delighted. 
I know you made it sound, well, I'm sure it was great fun at this meeting, but it was at the rather august Association for the Scientific Study of Consciousness. But there was a wine wager or two on the side. What was that all about? Yeah, so what really added to the theatricality of the night, Christoph Koch, an esteemed neuroscientist, got on stage with an Australian philosopher by the name of David Chalmers, who's now a a professor at New York University. 26 years ago, he and Christoph Koch, who were good mates, they went on a drinking binge and at some point they made a bet. David Chalmers kindly said, look, okay, Christoph, even nailing the circuitry of consciousness, I bet even that you won't find in 26 years' time. And this year they used the results of this adversarial collaboration to decide the bet. And because the adversarial collaboration did not call a winner, Christoph Koch conceded the bet to David Chalmers. So philosophy won. I hope the wine was good. <laughs> Indeed. I think it was a 20-year-plus bottle of Madeira. People were <laughs> suitably impressed. Dr. Ella Finkel of Cosmos magazine and writer of many fine books with Sharon Carlton.